You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Today, we are joined by Simon Williams. Simon is a high-performance mindset coach at Motivation and Performance Partners, a business he founded to help others achieve success in their careers. The ingrained desire to help others succeed has long been the driving force behind Simon's work and has played a large part in shaping where he is today. Simon joins us virtually for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Simon, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Jono, thanks for having me, buddy. I'm uh, looking forward to having a deep conversation with you, pal. Simon, you're a high-performance mindset coach at Motivation and Performance Partners, and you said to me before our chat that I absolutely love empowering people to achieve their dreams, to live with a purpose on purpose. How did you uncover that love for motivating and helping other people? How did I uncover that? That's a really good question, mate. Um, I think I've always had it, to be honest. Um, I reflected upon that. You know, I've been in and around coaching for, man, 20 odd years, probably more. Um, I had my first coaching business when I was 16. Um, down at St Mary's Indoor Cricket Centre, the incredible and lovely um, the Rennies down there. Who um, Ben, who's uh, one of my lifelong mates, and uh, he's definitely one of my mentors. Um, was down there. Webby was down there. Uh, the beautiful Marie Rennie, John Rennie, Greg Gavin, that crew. So there, I definitely started my coaching career down there with a, a bunch of really amazing, supportive people. Yeah, even all the way through, I should say, from 16 until. Till today, I've always found myself being drawn to uh, supporting others and empowering others and inspiring others. It's very much on a one-to-one basis or one-to-a-few basis, um, you know, in terms of teams, etc. But I very much love the um, the one-to-one where you can get real deep, um, you can get vulnerable, and as I said, you can really make some serious change uh, when you've got that that trust and that rapport. And I, I've just been drawn to that kind of relationship with, with helping people. And that's people that are in my life full-time, long-time, or it's just people I've just met. I've just drawn to, um, drawn to helping, drawn to supporting, drawn to serving. Empowering people, Simon, to achieve potential and achieve success, is there something specific that you're trying to, to open from them or trying to extract from them? Or does it tend to be a case-by-case basis? Definitely a case-by-case basis. I mean, ultimately, we've got a goal that, which is to set a vision and achieve the vision. You know, whether you're a high performance athlete, you know, whether you're an artist, whatever, a community leader, whatever it is that you're doing, ultimately it's to clear and uh, define the vision that you want to achieve, something exciting, something inspiring. And then from there, it's about setting the hows, how to go about doing that and who you want to become in that journey. So potentially I think it's a case by case basis on the fact that each and every one of us has our own vision specifically, but the strategies and the tools and the insights and the requirements of high performance across the board, 
okay, are all pretty similar because we're human beings and we, we experience the same emotions, the same feelings, the same fears, the same, you know, joys. So there is a, there is a, I guess, a, a uniform approach. I mean, that's why there's so many great books out there, so many great leaders, so many great coaches, so many great inspirational, motivational people that are talking about things that resonate with us on a supremely deep level. So when they talk, when you hear guys like Tony Robbins or, you know, just using him as an example, when he speaks to crowds, it rings the gong of the soul on pretty much anybody there because we all feel the same emotions and the same feelings. Uh, and we all want and truly desire the pretty similar things, you know, to be on purpose, as I said uh, before the podcast, to, to achieve things, to feel achievement and ultimately to feel happiness and fulfillment. So if they're the commonalities, okay, that's how we can universally approach the support or the service of someone. But obviously it's applied on a one-to-one basis because not every human being is the same and we don't all deal with certain elements or certain challenges within the same frame of mind. And when you look at human potential, Simon, how much do we as people leave untapped? I was only actually thinking about this the last few days in the car, to be honest. And I was thinking to myself, if an alien came down, and, and I, because I've been, you know, reflecting and looking on, on, you know, human performance and asked me who would I put up in front of them as our number one or our greatest asset in terms of a human being or greatest specimen, it would be a very hard question or a very hard feat or a task to do is to present someone who was just at their absolute peak uh, holistically, okay? Sure, there's heaps of guys peaking out in terms of business or athleticism or artistry, but are they completely fulfilled? Are they happy? Um, so there's that holistic approach. So I had to think about that, but I also was asking, you know, asking myself and looking around at the, the amount of wasted potential, the amount of wasted opportunity for people that just are not willing to, to push themselves to levels of, you know, greatness or aim for that level of greatness that can push their life to that level and to that place that they really want to achieve achieve something and grab a hold of something and feel something. There's just so I look around and there's just so many people. And again, it's no judgment. I don't like to judge. It's more just a, an observation in that, because obviously the people are dealing with a lot of things these days. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of history. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on behind closed doors. And as I said, I, I work and I mentor uh, young guys who come from a lot of disadvantage as well. So I'm very adver- um, involved in that area. And so therefore I'm not judging. I just look around and I just, I know that, as you said, there's a lot of untapped potential within so many humans, myself included, but we've all got this potential that we can really tap into. There's a reservoir, a reservoir of potential within us. And I think we've been looking potentially in the wrong places um, or trying to tap the wrong, the wrong keg, so to speak, uh, in order to achieve those great things. You know, we've been looking at a lot of the time, we look outside of ourselves rather than going inward. Uh, and reflecting and then obviously seeing what's in there and tuning in with that and then building a life from the bottom up, which is the soul to the heart to the mind rather than the mind down. My driving reflections are a little different to some people's. (laughs) Just before our chat, Simon, you posted that the body achieves what the mind believes. And to reference your point there about building from the bottom up, is that what you're trying to instill in people that you work with that it's about being present. It's about utilizing your mind for personal growth. Bottom up, 100%. Yes. Um, I believe that the soul has all the answers. I believe it's our deepest connection and greatest connections to the reason why we're here as a human being. 
I think we've all got specific purposes to live out. And I believe that in order to get in there, we have to go inward, you know, as you said, to be present, but also to have someone with us along on that journey that you trust. And as I said, that you've got a good rapport with, but ultimately that you can trust that he's going to guide you through. Uh, you know, if we go into places that are deep and dark and places that we've never been before, doing it on our own is, is you know, it's a hero's journey. But every hero's got their mentor and every hero's got their guide along the way. And ultimately, that's what we really need to, to understand is that, um, is that it's, we don't have to do these things on our own. There are plenty of professionals out there that are doing great things for people. There's plenty of guys that aren't. And, you know, they're presenting that they are. But there's obviously a lot of people out there in positions like myself that have got the passion, but also got the skills to be able to, to be able to support the journey inward and then guide and support the journey outward. And as we said, getting to the base camp and getting to that mountaintop, which is, which is everybody's vision, you know, that vision of achievement. So completely agree with uh, what you said there in terms of the philosophy of going inward, being present, getting a real understanding about what's in there and building from that, that place rather than, as I said, from the mind down is from the soul up. No doubt about it. And you reference mentors and guides and the, the key role that they play. Who's, who's helped you along your journey as a person? Oh, there's a long list there, buddy. People that come to mind. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll try and work backward rather than, uh, sorry, yeah, backward rather than forward. So backward, uh, as I said to you before, one of my, really one of my closest mates, but uh, also one of my guys who I always tap into, Ben Rennie. Uh, so he's a, he's a local lad too, um, had some incredible successes on the, on the sporting field, on the business, uh, in business ventures. Uh, so he's definitely one, you know, I've got, uh, who, who else have I, I've had coaches, you know, sports coaches, Ronnie house was another one was a, I still use one of his mottos and that, um, still to this day, focus on the process and the result will take care of itself. It's very important to me. I hold that dear to me there. I've, again, as I said, I've had many coaches uh, on, my, on the cricket field. Another guy that sticks with me, um, which some of you guys definitely know, is Kev Geyer, um, who was, he's played cricket for New South Wales. He was a, a, a teammate of mine. He was more of a, I guess, of a personal uh, mentor to me. There's some things that were off the field that he, he mentioned and we sort of sat down and talked a little bit more personally. So I really trusted his judgment and his character um, in a time where I really needed someone. Uh, there was, he said a couple of things to me again, which I've, which I believe and I reflect on that have been supremely powerful to my development. And there's, I mean, there's been all kinds of players that I've played with, obviously that, you know, you got guys like Ed Cowan, who, who I learned so much from, you know, just batting with him, playing with him, learning from him, training with him, an enormous amount of people that, that I've played with. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting question because I wish I could, you know, I wish you could just have a long list of people and it's just potentially sometimes it's some poignant, some poignant things that sort of provoke as the question's being asked and the reason why I bring those guys up, you know, because obviously in the creative field, there's, there's, there's mentors as well. So um, I'm sure I've forgotten a bunch of people in, in saying that, but they're the guys that have sort of come to my mind as we've just mentioned, uh, mentioned that or answered that question there for you, pal. And for you, Simon, self-actualization has presented its challenges to you over the years. Why is that the case? Well, I think it's, it's a, it was an, it's an identity issue, an identity thing. And as I said, when you grow up and your identity is completely wrapped up in one thing. Uh, and then when that one thing is gone or taken away or, or, you know, left and, and you feel that loss and grief from that, that 
you know, you might stand in the valley of shadows and look around and sort of ask yourself, who the hell am I? From that point on, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not Simon the cricketer anymore. I'm, I'm just Simon. And, and I, and who is that? So, you know, as I said, down in the valley of shadows, it's, there's a, it's, you spend some time and without, I guess I didn't like, I had someone there to guide me through that, which is the number one, one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to uh, start this business. As I said, when I, when I um, was down there in the valley and I was working through some stuff on a personal level and I felt like I w- I'd come out of the, the, the valley and I was sort of at base camp ready to make some decisions. That's when I called out to, as I said, to Ben and Ben was ready to rock and roll. He was always there and always has been there. Ultimately, the actualization part of it, I feel, is, has its challenges because it's, it's a self journey. It's a journey of the self. And I think without having someone to hold your hand along the way, you know, whether it's been over the you know, two years, 10 years, whatever it is in terms of however long um, that journey is going to take for someone to feel like that they've peaked out. And I potentially don't know if you ever peak out on actualization, but the journey itself, um, as I said, the challenge is that one, to stay on the path uh, and make sure that, you know, you, you stay true to yourself and also to make sure you stay, you just keep climbing. And that's the two challenges that, or sorry, the three challenges that I sort of, I guess, express there is the one is to get started especially when you're down in the valley. The second part of it is to keep climbing. And the, the, the third part is to, is to definitely focus on um, where you want to go. And that, that to me is, um, that's the challenge and the greatest challenge that we all face, actually. Are there any elements of your day-to-day life that you deliberately practice or implement to address those, those challenges and, and really remind yourself of the position that you're in? Yeah, mate. So daily practices, 100%. So every morning, you know, getting up earlier enough to, to practice the things that, that are going to set me up. Uh, I've got a, I've got a book or a, I developed a, like a, a planner, like a prime time. It's a primer that has that all in there for me so that, um, so that I can tick it off every day and make sure that I'm doing those things. It's um, so medita- meditation is definitely, you know, the first thing I'll do breath work, cold water, whether it's in the ocean or whether it's in a cold shower, then there's movement, you know, some sort of movement for, you know, whether it's strenuous activity, whether it's surfing, whether it's going for a swim, uh, whether it's whatever it is, there's got to be some sort of movement just before us to get anything started. Uh, and then there's obviously really healthy eating and um, at least a litre of water when I wake up and potentially if I get the chance and there's celery in the, <laughs> celery in the cupboard, I'll just juice the celery and have that as well before the day gets started. Simon, you grew up in Penrith. What was your childhood like? Mate, all I can remember doing as a kid is hitting cricket balls. That's it. Um, um, we moved around a lot. It's anywhere between like 16 and 20 times or something. By the time I was, I don't know, 13 or something. Like we, we moved, dude. You know, in reflection and doing a lot of work and looking at that, that's pretty unsettling and upsetting for a kid's mental development. Um, potentially through attachment, potentially through um, people pleasing, potentially through some of those um, challenges, as we talked about. Um, and that's kind of just through, you know, learning about these things. And, and I, in reflection, is I've potentially, you know, had to work through some of that stuff, you know, as I said, through that actualization process. But as a kid, as you don't really know any better until it starts affecting you in later life. So uh, as a kid, mate, as I said, all I loved doing was picking up a cricket bat tennis ball, taping half of it in half and just bowling and batting until I couldn't, until it was too dark. Um, just batting and batting and batting and going to the nets and batting and just more batting. 
it was it was just my absolute love and it was yeah it was a it was a passionate relationship dude was cricket an escape for you did you find were you were you in a i guess a happy place for lack of a better term when you were playing cricket yeah man i was a pretty happy kid as well like as i said don't get me wrong like um man as i said mom and dad were, were great you know super supportive and you know um Dad always asked dad, what was I like when I was a little kid? And he's like, dude, you're always really happy and smiling all the time. So I think I felt pretty relaxed and, and comfortable and confident. It was, uh, and then, so cricket in itself, I think it was just an opportunity for me to do two things. One, to impress my dad was probably one part of it uh, to begin with. And then when I started getting accolade and be achieving things and feeling that taste of achievement, which is as a kid, you're not going to do anything you're going to sacrifice anything until you've tasted that achievement. And when you have, and when it drips down the chin, you want more of it, you know, it's satiating. It's that it's almost like the blood for, for a vampire. It's like, you just need more and more of it. Um, so when I started getting a lot more um, and I potentially, I don't know if it was the accolade or the accomplishment, but it was definitely the, the, the sense of achievement. It was just one of those things that just fuel that fueled the fire and, um, Mate, it was just, as I said, cricket, happy place. It was like just the only place. It's the only place I felt like I lived was on the cricket field or in the nets. In your work nowadays, are you trying to unlock people's innocence or of youth or the, the freedom that we all have as kids? Do you think it's important for us to have some of that in our adult life? Yeah, I mean, sense of freedom, definitely. I think as an adult, having childlike freedom is potentially unattainable, just obviously because we've got commitments. Um, but I think it's essential that we focus on fun. I think that's, you know, that's one of our core human elements, you know, or our progressive identity elements is fun, you know, and there's eight of those elements that we tick off or that we have within our soul. And, you know, if we're not attending to all eight, then we, then there's no chance of feeling fulfillment. One of those being fun. So I ultimately think that um, we need to have a sense of fun, we need to have a sense of adventure within the things that we're doing. And, and, you know, I guess if you liken that to a childlike mentality, I think curiosity and, and all those things you do as a kid, if you've had, you know, a pretty solid sort of, um, sort of period to grow up in, I think they're all the things that, that are, that are available to you. So I, I understand when you sort of say that, that childlike sort of curiosity and enjoyment and, and vibrancy, but man, I, I feel like I'm more vibrant and more, more curious and more um, passionate than I've ever been. And I've got more commitments than I've ever had. So ultimately, um, I, I do think, I do agree with you on the fun side of things, but I also think that, that potentially we do shoot ourselves in the foot if, you know, if we're trying to go back to thinking like we were as a kid. I think it's, it's taking what you learned, you know, understanding the things that, that lit you up potentially as a child and seeing whether or not you can apply those to your adult life and bring more fun, bring more purpose back into what you're doing now. And you look fondly on your, your schooling years. What was your education experience like? I loved, loved my primary school. Uh, loved my time in primary school. Uh, struggled a little bit in year seven to 10. No, probably, yeah, year seven to 10. Definitely through nine, eight and nine. I didn't really enjoy high school at all. I uh, felt a bit, a little bit isolated in terms of, as you know, as we just said, I was very dedicated to what I was trying to achieve. Uh, that didn't leave a lot of time for anything else. Uh, so, and that doesn't mean studies. It means more the social aspect because that's all school really is, is it's an opportunity to teach you how to be on time and wear a uniform. So <laughs> I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it so much until about year 10 
when I um when I, I lined up with a guy, one of my good mates, is still a really good friend of mine now. Baz, he was um yeah, it's just I felt a real solid connection with with him and and um and another guy called Jake, and that sort of connection I think started to there's that social connection I talked about that's really important. Um, and as I said, that that isolation started to become a bit more more social. And therefore, um, going into year 11 and 12, I had the time of my life. I loved senior high school. Uh, it was McCarthy back in the day when um, it was only a senior high school. It was only year 11 and 12. So uh, that's, um, I found that, I guess, that environment really, really supportive of um, who I believed I was. I always believed I was a little bit, I was quite mature. Um, other people might tell you different, but uh always like that, that responsibility of, you know, having to step up, you know, and, you know, try and uh, spend time with older, older guys or older girls or, or older people to try and make sure and to try and fit in, as I said, into, uh, and I think, and I think that that senior high school allowed us to do that. Uh, and, and it definitely set me up as I moved forward into like, into university, which was basically reuni was a write-off. Um, it was, unfortunately, it was, uh, it was just anything that got in the way of the cricket was, it was not, I wasn't really happy about those final years of school, Simon, did you have career ambitions or for you at that point, was it, I'm going to wear the baggy green. I'm going to be a professional cricketer. Yeah. Cricket. That was the, that was, I had, uh, dad was always like, have a contingency plan. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I, I wasn't dumb in, in terms of like, I always was quite, um, I did pretty well at school, but I didn't put in a huge amount of effort um, because, as I said, it wasn't my sport. Um, and I, th- I definitely rested on the laurels a little bit there. In saying that, there were certain subjects that I enjoyed, you know, PE, English, music, that kind of thing. Man, it was, yeah, that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the, anything that got in the way of, of playing sport was... Um, or to, for me playing cricket was just not, uh, was not a priority. And the career choice was going to be the baggy green. So anything that allowed me to do that, and if I had to sacrifice school time or if I had to sacrifice parties or if I had to sacrifice anything to train more, to train harder, to, to do my best, then I would have done that. So the, um, yeah, the, 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 the mind or the vision was the baggy green, no doubt about it. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Was there an idol, someone you looked up to in that Australian team at the time who you wanted to be like? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, two guys, Steve Waugh and Langer, and obviously for both of their um, tenacity, the way they played the game, you know, they put a huge emphasis on being the hardest cricketer on the team or the guy who loved the pressure or the guy who, who you could rely on in any situation. They were tough. You know, and back when I was playing cricket, mate, that, that word tough, the mental toughness was, that's how you wore your badge of honour and how tough you were. 
and I think it for and I think for the majority a positive thing that that has changed slightly and it, and it is a little bit more focused on a holistic mindset. You know, performances are only going you know potentially getting better. You know, guys like Paddy Cummins who are just the most grounded, intelligent, inspirational humans on and off the field. And as I said, it's he's not he's definitely not of the same. You know, mental. Oh, how am I going to say this without he? The way he plays and the way he conducts himself is so exemplary um, that that's the kind of sports athlete I wish I was aspiring to be. I wish I was a kid now aspiring to be him because, as I said, the way that he conducts himself on and off the field is is exemplary. And and I think, you know, if you watch the Ashes, the test, you know, on uh, on Prime, you can see Langer, and this is the reason why I loved Justin Langer the most, was because of his skills and abilities, but also because of the way that, he is just as strong uh, in his mindset. He's a family man. He, he places so much emphasis on who you are, but also on what you do. There's a, there's a separation, but there is an alignment, you know, to the vision of playing cricket for Australia. But obviously there's a separation there and it's almost more important to him that he has a group or a team of great people and great men and a great squad as he does with guys who, um, you know, are scoring hundreds and taking fifers. And, um, Again, that's when I when I found out more about Justin Langer and the way that he conducted himself that way. That was the guy, man, and that that was. And to be honest, when I left the game, it was something that I reflected on in terms of his qualities of a human being. And I definitely looked at myself and I looked in the mirror and I didn't didn't have what I wanted. I did. I wasn't a reflection on him. So uh, there was yeah, there was definitely periods of my life where, as I said, that actualization process was like when you're in the at the bottom, you got to look to the top and. And, you know, he was a guy that I definitely aspired to, um, to do on a values level. And, I, and I, as I said, I really, you know, the day will come when I'll be able to shake his hand and thank him for that. So, um, and that won't be too far away. Simon, I recall sitting on the steps of Howell Oval and watching you play first grade for Penrith alongside players such as Dale Turner, Dave Taylor, amongst others. Playing first grade for Penrith, being selected in the New South Wales underage teams, taking part in the Australian Academy squad, did you feel that you'd made it as a cricketer? Do you think you'd reached your pinnacle at the time? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I think they, at the time, and even reflection, the pinnacle's the baggy green. And everything that happens to you along the way, it feels like it's, um, it's a pat on the back. Uh, it's, it gives you an affirmation that you're on the right path, you're doing the right things. But yeah, definitely not that I'd made it. Um, I you, obviously in those moments where you're selected for those squads or teams, and you know, as you know, you're at the AS and you look around, and Tim Payne and Sean Tate and all the guys, you know, Shane Watson are there, and Dan Christian and um, all the guys that you know that basically are making millions of dollars now, doing what they love to do. They're all there, and it's. But even in that, it's still competitive. You're still trying to be your best. And potentially your best is pretty, un- it might be unattainable, but it's, it's the, it's, that's what we're after. It's, it's how can I be better than I was yesterday? And that was always part of my mindset was there's always room for me to grow. There's always room for me to be better. Um, I placed a lot of emphasis in, and there was a lot of emphasis on the physicality, you know, the fitness, the technique, um, you know, the mental side of games in terms of on the field. And unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of innovation, or, or there wasn't a lot of in inverted commas support for the mindset stuff, you know, off the field, 
which is a huge influence on what happens on the field. Uh, there wasn't a lot of that back then. You know, it was either DIY. It was, you know, asking a guy who's the same age as you. It was asking, you know, your teammates who are potentially um, great influences or potentially not great influences, depending who you're aligned with. In reflection, it, yeah, it was definitely not a... Um, it's definitely not a thought of I'd peaked out or, but it was an, a, it was a beautiful feeling. Don't get me wrong of all those, of all those um, selections, but there's, there was always room in my mind to get better. And I think um, again, reflecting with Ed in his career and in a conversation on the podcast with him, it was this, him and I thought we were very, very similar in the way we thought on and off the field. And, and it, I should probably mention again, that he, we definitely bounced off each other in terms of, um, you know, mentorship and support but um, yeah, the way that he thought about it at the top, you know, I think was probably a similar way that I would have thought about it too. And is, is when I'm there, it's like, it's not about getting there. It's about not just being there. It's about dominating. And it's about making sure that when you're out there, you become, you know, if you're, if you're selected in the 12, then I want to become one of the top three. And if I'm in the top three, why can't I be the best? What kind of pressures did you face, Simon, when you would return back to Penrith, say, after some New South Wales underage cricket or time at the academy, were there either internal or external pressures on you to perform? I didn't feel external pressure. No, not, not really. Again, I had a great support network at the club uh, with, you know, with my teammates and with, uh, with the coaching staff. Fantastic. Again, my time at Penrith was just, I look back on it now with such fondness and, a, and such a full heart. But I definitely had a lot of internal pressure. As I said, if uh, it, the, the academy, of the, the AS was a stepping stone and it wasn't, it wasn't the peak out. It was one of the stages on the climb. So I was always pushing forward and pushing forward. And as I said, when the identity was completely wrapped up in, you know, who I was, was, was a cricketer. When things didn't go so well, as I said, the pressure to get back, you know, through a slump or the pressure to get back through, through, you know, a couple of lean weekends was, was, a huge amount and, and not, but none of it was coming really from the external um, spaces it was always coming from an internal place. And, and again, um, without a, without a professional mindset coach or someone who was there to support me to get through those moments and to sort of guide, you know, a pretty, um, you know, young mind, I think there were some missed opportunities there. Um, not none that I regret now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm absolutely in love where, with where I am and what I do, but in reflection, there was opportunities missed, no doubt about it, that, um, that I could have uh, either put my hand up for, again, because a lot of it was, you know, you didn't really reach out with, with mental health issues or if you didn't reach out with anything that was going on internally, it was all always about, you know, if um, physical stuff or technical stuff, you know. Um, so, but nowadays, as I said, which I think is great, is that there's so much more conversation around about how you're feeling, how you're going, how's it all balancing. I think... I remember, and I'll give you an example. I remember when Tatey went off um, and he took some time off for depression. And I think that, I think that was the, one of the first players worldwide to do so. And people just turn around and went, what the, what do you mean? Do you depressed? Like, and then there was, you know, a lot of talk in the press about his mental toughness. And again, this is what I'm saying in terms of, and so there was, there wasn't a lot of empathy that was going around, um, especially in the playing circles as well. I think a lot of guys were like, they, they really didn't understand it because it wasn't a thing. Um, and it's such a great, such great growth within not only society, but in the sporting fraternity that, that people now understand that, um, you know, it's a mental game and we're not always at our mental best. And we need to make sure that, you know, we're there for each other to support each other in, in getting ourselves back out of those valleys, as we said before, getting people in, into that sense of clarity 
and allowing them to see that vision again and to really buy in, to be excited and inspired and to move forward. And, and, and as I said, the, the, not only the cricket circles, but there's, you know, the, there's a whole bunch rugby league, rugby union, you know, surfing Australia are fantastic as it's a lot of mental health support. And I even know so the, 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 the um, snow, you know, snow Australia as well are really getting behind a lot of the mindset stuff, which is, which is super powerful for young athletes nowadays. During your cricket career, Simon, were you drawn to leadership positions within the team, either officially or unofficially? Did you see yourself as a role model for others? I always, this is going to be an interesting answer. I always thought I had potential to lead, but in reflection, I think I, if I just concentrate on doing what I did best, it would have been, I would have been potentially uh, better off. So that sounds a little bit convoluted. Uh, there was guys who I played with that were incredible leaders. Matty House was a, was a very understated and underrated cricketer. Um, his mind for the game was supercharged, mate. As I said, he was just a great thinker. And again, bouncing off the off Ronnie House um, as his as his dad and as our coach, incredible combination. You know, Kevin Guy, Dale Turner, uh, you know Taylor. Guys who were, you know, they, they knew the game. They knew how to captain. Um, I thought I knew how to lead, but I definitely didn't know how to captain. Um, so what, what I did do was when I reframed that was, I think my game went through the roof when I took my mind off trying to be the captain uh, and, and but into lead through performance and to lead through service. Uh, and I always reflect on the year that, um, that I broke the record for the club. I remember early on in the season, that I took my mind off making New South Wales teams. I took my mind off getting selected in squads uh, for whatever reason and stated to, and I went out there and every time I went out to bat, I'd look at Paul Goldie or Mick Goldie and I'd say, I'm, I'm going to score a hundred for you boys today. Like it was all about the service. So I flipped the lens from self to service and I felt like my performance went through the roof because I led in that way. I feel like I took, took the, a leadership role uh, at the top of the order um, because I was there and doing it for the right reasons. So that was an internal shift that I had to make, um, just shifting the lens from self to service. And it really, and it's one of those things that I coach now is, is getting an understanding about how, how do we inspire others? Um, or how does the athlete that I'm working with inspire others in their performance on and off the field? Being of service to others is incredibly important and, and effective as you alluded to. And, we're starting to see that more in sports coaches and other leaders. You know, Brad Stevens at the Boston Celtics is a huge advocate for servanthood leadership. Why do you think it's so effective? Why do you think it's so effective for people to let their guard down, show their vulnerabilities, but actually end up being a more effective leader? Well, I think with, with service, it's always delivered from the heart. That's the thing. Your mind's on board. Um, but it's coming from a deeper place, you know, and when you're in a sense of service, you, your heart's full. You never want to take, you never want to take from anybody. You never want to take from anything. And service comes from a place of giving. And ultimately when you, you know, when you give, you receive. Um, so in a, when you are in a sense of service, there's this beautiful cyclic, uh, as I said, sense of giving and receiving that it's almost like it lifts up the frequency of the individual and then those around them. So, when you're trying to do that from a mind down approach, like we talked about before, you, it, you, you can't do it because the mind has to go, cause it comes straight out of the mouth. So it goes mind to mouth, mind to mouth, mind to mouth, and you miss the heart, you miss the soul. So when you're in a sense of service, 
it's coming from that place of purpose, which is your soul, you know, place of permission through the heart. So it comes from the purpose into the permission and it basically gets projected out that way. And as I said, the more that we perform from these deeper places, the greater the performance and the greater the fulfillment. So again, there's that cyclic, deeper sense of, of knowing, understanding, mastery. It's all coming from those deeper places. And it's a gift. You're offering it to someone as a gift. You're serving and looking after others. And you're not only, as I said, you're not only shifting the lens, okay, because that lens is, is, was on the self. If you're thinking about the mind and you're going top down, it's thinking about how can I get something? How can I receive something? How can I take something? How can I you know, compete and get on top of something? When you flip that around to that service mentality, as we said, it goes all the way out and it's always about aligning and then giving, aligning and giving. And in, as we said, it's like when you're in, in st states of sort of um, depression or if you're in states of, well, where you're feeling a little down on things, the best way to get out of that is to go out and help somebody else go out and support somebody else or serve somebody else or do something that's going to support somebody. So I think as you, you know, as you mentioned that, that, that service and the reason why it's such a big aspect is because one is it's a sense of giving and there's something beautiful in that's in that space. And there's also a sense of humility in it as well, in terms of you're not looking to take and be, and to be number one and, 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 having a focus on the self. It's always about that humility of, you know, almost like we're in this together. And I think, when you think about it in a sense of in, in that way, in a sense of belonging, there's an extreme amount of supercharged power that comes from that way of thinking. Simon, giving cricket away, what triggered that decision for you? In a nutshell, mate, I just, it was like being in a relationship and I fell out of love with the person. Um, I wasn't in love with who I was playing the game. I wasn't in love with the game. I wasn't in love with what I was doing in it. I fell out of love with, with my partner and, you know, you, you try for a little while, you kind of rock it back and forth and you do your best to, you know, to try and reignite the love, um, which when I went across to, to England and played a season over there, I tried to reignite my passion for the game and it only got worse. Poor standard of cricket, um, poor, it just, and I was, you know, coming back from an injury, there was a whole bunch of stuff, but I tried, I tried really hard to reignite. I took some time off over a season uh, just to try and get my bearings again. Then went back to, to Edinburgh with my, my best mate at the time, still one of my best mates. Um, and I made, I, in all honesty, I've never hit the ball better in my life than that season when I was in Edinburgh. Um, again, self to service. Uh, the first three or four games, duck, five, three, seven, couldn't hit one. These guys were paying decent money too for me to be there. And I just wasn't delivering. And I, again, that reflection, there was a moment I sat down in the house that they'd given me. Again, they're giving you houses and cars and money. And, and, and I was sitting there and I was, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? I don't, like, I don't love the game. I don't love playing anymore. I, I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. And I, so I just made the vow from that, you know, from that game onward or for the, you know, for the rest of the season that I would do my best to support the club and every player at the club as best as I could, get them to be better cricketers, get them to be better human beings, um, you know, bring the club together as a club. And um, mate, in the last however many games, it might've been 10 games or something, you know, I normally scored a thousand runs. Um, the club went from like last to, we can't think we came second or third in the comp players were you know scoring runs and and banding together there was a sense of unity and, and community uh it was and again it, as i said i've never hit the ball better and i've never felt better 
in a, in a team in my life. Um, you know, obviously my, my team in Penrith was, you know, that was my favorite, um, in terms of when I was playing at the high level. Um, but this was something that I helped build, um, from the ground up, um, in terms of, and they're now playing premier league over in, in Scotland. And I was incredibly uh, satisfied with, um, that blend shift from self to service. Um, but ultimately, at the end of that season, three games out, you know, I was, as I said, hitting them as best as I have. And I knew that that was the end for me. And um, I kind of signed off on that note in 2006 and, and uh, yeah, tended to my other, the things that I, that I felt had fallen in love with um, after that. Were you okay with your decision to, to call it quits? Yeah, I was. I'd spent a lot of time reflecting. It wasn't, a, um, it wasn't a decision I took lightly. As I said, it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make at the time. And so I gave it its due diligence, I should say. I spoke to a number of people, my dad included. It was definitely a great support network through that. Again, calling on some mentors, some conversations that I'd had. And I remember, um, yeah, I remember the day vividly. And I think you remember those emotionally charged days the most from your, from your past. I was sitting in, I think, Gloria Jeans in Penrith. Sorry, Glenmore Park with my dad having that conversation. And, I, and it was like, mate, that's it. I'm done. And his response was, is it going to make you happy? And I said, yeah, it probably, hopefully it's going to be. And he's like, cool. So that's, you know, that's the decision you need to make. Uh, I know he was disappointed. Obviously, he put a lot of time and effort in as a father to, to seeing your, your child succeed. And you get close, you know, you get near to the, near the top of a mountain and, you know, your son tells you he wants to climb back down and go climb something else. It would be a hard pill to swallow, but um, I, I really appreciate the way he handled that and the support he offered. And he's, he's always been, um, you know, I guess my right-hand man in terms of that. He's always supported everything I've done. And, and you know, as I said, gives me a sense of pride and, and joy and, and love for, you know, deeper love for, for the, as I said, for my dad that, um, you know, that I feel very gifted and, and, and lucky to have. Have you always had a good level of self-awareness, Simon? The examples you've given there of knowing when it was time to, to call, call it quits, knowing when you needed to shift from self to service, have you always been able to turn that lens back on yourself and, and understand when decisions need to be made like that? That's a really good question as well. In reflection, I've always been a deep thinker, uh, very deep, journaled a lot, diaried a lot. And I don't mean dear diary, that kind of thing. Um, it was always about my sport and how I felt about it. I, you know, it's potentially the mindset stuff I've done here and just tapping back into, you know, that, that question you mentioned that we had just answered before is I've, I've coached a lot of people through that same transition. And this is why, and I think because I spent the time reflecting and giving it the, I guess, giving it the, uh, the due diligence that it needed at the time and having reflected on that for the last almost 20 years, I, it gives me a great sense and a great place to be able to support through people through that transition from one career to another, or from the top of one mountain deciding to climb another, or from the valley to, as I said, to base camp. Um, it's it was it was something that I really hold true to my heart and and true to my soul. And as I said, it's definitely part of uh, one of the specialties that I'm that I'm able to offer with the business now with Matt. But yeah, I guess you know coming back to what you're asking, I think I think it's. Yeah, I, I do. I do think that, um, yeah, I do think so. If, if that's a roundabout kind of way that to answer it, um, I believe, I believe I have, or I believe I have, uh, I believe so. I believe so. 
This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Your work on the business with Motivation and Performance Partners, how did that idea first come to fruition to get stuck into what is a pretty incredible piece of work? Uh, uh, how did the idea begin? Great, another one. Um, man, the idea for the business was always uh, wanting to become the mentor that I never had. As I, we were just discussing that moment, you know, making that huge decision to leave a game that you identified yourself with even before that, you know, transitioning to the AS or through squads, you know, even missing squads, missing teams that I, you know, wasn't able to make, you know, you, you put your heart and soul into something and, you know, you don't get picked. You know, I remember there was a few times with that, that, you know, look to my left, look to my right. And, you know, you're sitting in your room on your own. I wanted to have, I wanted to be a relational coach that was, you know, that was there. So when that happened, someone was, I was available to, to, you know, for that person to make a phone call. I need a conversation, need some support. And the same thing with I'm trying to work, trying to grow. It's, it's phone conversation. We're doing one-on-one work, working on their mindset, working on their, them in terms of them on a personal and professional level. And when they're having great times, how do we sustain that success? So I wanted to be the mentor that I never had. Uh, and I've, and I, as I said, I, I developed a, uh, a business and a program around that for the talent ascension program that, uh, that supports amateur athletes from, you know, I guess the avatar is 15 to 25 in, in there in a roundabout that, um, that are, you know, that are pushing for it. They know they're worth it. They know they can do it. They know they can achieve it, but they, um, they, they just need that support and they want that support in terms of getting themselves from that amateur thinking to pro thinking or from that amateur level to the pro level. So um, yeah, that's, I guess that's how the idea started was in terms of being the mentor that I needed um, but the idea in itself for the name of the business and how it was going to be all wrapped up, that was on a after a day of snowboarding with Benny Rennie again, <laughs> came down off the hill and I'd been working for like six months to had all these ideas and, and you know, within six minutes, Benny had sort of put it all together and said, here, this is what it's going to be. It's map, you know, you map your life, you map in your career, you map this, it's map, it's motivation and performance. And you're not, you're not, you're not clients, they're your partners because you're partnering with them through this whole thing. And I was like, dude. Like this, I mean, I know that's what he does for a living with huge businesses, but to see that in action and to be on the receiving end of that was something pretty special. How did you go about building momentum early on? Because you do hear a lot for businesses starting that the hardest part is that first year or two and building momentum, getting the name out there, building connections. What did you find was the key early on? Yeah, good good question again, mate. I think I think the key the key is uh, the quality of the work, whether, you know, as I said, whether you're an athlete or whatever you're doing, I think if you've got an ability, you know, and you're capable of, of excelling in that ability, I think that's one thing. Self-efficacy is another thing. I've got a lot of self-belief and that's from um, my years in sport, no doubt about it. It's from, again, those mentors and support networks. But um, yeah, I've, I've got a real deep sense of, of self-efficacy for the things that I'm doing. And especially now that, as I said, that I, it's, coming from that, that service lens. Um, I think networks is a huge one. And, and I think there's, I've had so many interviews with a lot of professional 
guys on, on the podcast myself in regards to networking. And, you know, it, it did have a bit of a sticky name to it previously, you know, in terms of, um, you know, what it, when it became a bit slimy or, I mean, you know, the kind of guy, you know, you're probably out and about having a conversation with someone and you you can just smell it on them that they're, they're looking to get something from you. You know, there's that self mentality, as I said, they're, they're trying to figure out a way of, you know, using you for something when I've never been like that. I'm, you know, since I was a kid, I've always been about not only, it's not necessarily about connecting this, but it's almost like that next step further. I've always felt that, you know, what can I do for you? How can I support you? And immediately in a conversation, like I'll be the guy at the party having a deep conversation in the corner with the guy that's telling me, this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm bouncing around trying to figure out ways to support what he's doing. Um, and I love that. And as I said, this is the, there's this deep purpose and there's this deep love, you know, the soul and the heart for what, what I do. And, and for, for, and that being, that being sort of what the business is wrapped in. So that therefore, as I said, the networks is for me, networking has always been something really authentic. It's always been something that I felt I was really strong at. I've, I've always had a great network of people. I look around at my network now and it's full of absolute legends. Just great human beings, people that, you know, as I said, if, if you know, you held them up against each other, it's like, who's the better that you couldn't, you couldn't decide who they're just fantastic human beings, fantastic people all doing great things. And on top of that, they're incredible at what they do. So as I said, my network is, is always been really strong. Um, and I believe, you know, in, in, in reflection, potentially that's uh, hopefully about how the way that I, I make them feel when I'm with them, as I said, in an authentic way. And, and as I said, and using, using my own abilities to support them. And I think when the time comes, um, you know, when you launch something of your own, such as a business or, you know, you're, you're making film or you're, you know, you're, you're putting a gig on or something like that, you know, and you say, listen, um, I'm here, I'm doing these things. I think, I think that sort of speaks on, on its own accord because a lot of the guys who have you've supported feel like they want to support you. And there's, again, there's that beautiful gift of giving and receiving um, if it comes from an authentic place. And I've always been um, very grateful for the networks that I've had and the people in my life, because I look around now. And as I said, I, I'm not, I'm not half the man I am today without those people. That's for, that's for damn sure. When we fast forward a number of decades, Simon and, you look back and see the positive difference that MAP has made to society. The work that you've done has made an incredible difference. What's that one change that you hope you've contributed to society? Change? not Well, potentially it is a change, but it's more about more people tasting achievement, more people tasting what it's like to perform at their best, more people understanding that they have the capability to become better and to be better and to do better. Uh, that to me is something that I've felt so much of in my life. And it's, it's every time I reflect on the history of what I've had, it's they're the beautiful moments where I sit back, my heart's full. And it's an incredible sense of there is pride. And I believe pride can be a really positive thing. Um, pride for a life and pride for people that I've, that I've cultivated. Um, and it, it, within that is that sense of achievement, as I said, and that sense of personal best. And I would love in decades time, if people, would reflect on the work that I did. It was it was to that it encouraged and inspired people to to achieve personal best. And the more people that are doing that, I think it lifts. You know, it will lift the standard of everything. I mean, we're already incredible beings, human beings, but just that sense of fulfilment that one gets from setting a vision, setting the journey, climbing the mountain, dropping the flag in at the top, taking in the view. And just understanding all the work that they put in has now accumulated to this beautiful moment, you know, scoring a hundred, winning a close game sport, 
you know, a thousand to 10,000 people screaming your name at a gig, whatever it is that that peak out is for you. It's like everyone deserves to feel at least one of those in their life. And, and everyone deserves to feel more than one of those in my opinion and, and more often. So the ones that really want it, they're the guys I want to work with. They're the guys that, 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 that light me up that, as I said, the, the way I, you know, the way I feel my success is by supporting other people's success. And I get so much out of it. Like that Jerry Maguire, you know, I just get so much out of seeing someone else succeed. There's that, and it's relational, you know, and I, I get a real sense of um, gratitude and I get a real sense of joy out of being able to see someone light up in that moment when they succeed at the thing that they love. It's, as I said, it fills me with, um, with my, my heart is up, man. As I said, you can see me now. <laughs> I'm welling up, man. It's, this is exactly what I was born to do, dude. It was, um, you know, sport was something that, that gifted me, you know, years and years and years of mental acuity. And now I get to um, express that and serve that onto others who are trying to do the same. Simon, do you believe in life that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves as people? Do you believe that the path is laid out from point A to point B and we just live it? Or that every decision you make every day shapes where you end up? Uh, the latter. <laughs> That's such a great call. It's funny, a man in, in a script that I wrote once, it was, it used to be, it, well, it was, and it still is in there. It's like, no, it's, life's not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And that's still in there. It's, it's one of the, um, it's one of the, uh, I guess the pinnacle moments at the, at the end of the film that I want people to take away from it. But yeah, I completely agree with creating yourself. Um, you know, there's, there's times in your life when you are in the Valley of Shadows, like I said, when you're just looking for the light, you know, and you're looking for it and you're just, just trying to find it. Um, and obviously, as we know now that you create that light from within, you know, you do, you take the walk, you do the work and the light starts to bring itself to fruition. And then the light being the flame, you know, that flame of purpose, it starts to flicker again. And then, as you know, you just set, you, you set, set foot outside of that valley of shadows and you find yourself at the bottom of a mountain range figuring out what you're going to do all of a sudden the fuel is the excitement and the inspiration from whichever one you're going to cho choose. And that's the fuel that starts bringing this thing to life again. So I believe in that creation. And I believe, you know, a lot of the work in the quantum field, a lot of the, a lot of the work that's going around now in terms of like creating our external world is coming from that internal place. We're electromagnetic beings. Um, so ultimately yeah, I believe in creation and I believe in creating in terms of our choices and decisions. And it does come down to a binary every moment of every day, there's a binary choice between left or right, up and down, right or wrong. Um, so we have an opportunity at every moment to, to make the right call and to move in the direction that we'd rather be or that we want to be. It's been an incredible journey for you, Simon, when you think back to your, your childhood, your upbringing, your cricket, traveling the world, starting your business to where you are now. Do you take the time to stop, pause and reflect on a regular basis? Uh, yes. Stop, pause, reflect. Uh, I, I do love to reflect. Um, but I, I do feel that, um, it's almost like that. Yeah. That this sense of achievement is, is still ahead of me. The, the great thing that I want to achieve is still ahead. It's the, the, my Everest, I'm still on Everest. I'm still climbing, but I do encourage people and I, and to do so myself, it's in order to, to continue the climb and in order to enjoy the climb, you've got to be grateful. And, and that's from where you've come from and, and where also where you are and what you have um, because that motivates and creates more of that, you know, obviously. So it's, it's definitely something that I do t tend to do often is the gratitude for who I'm with and the gratitude for what I do and 
how I get to do it and where I get to do it. And, and for a lot of the things in my life and, and definitely for a lot of the people in my life as well. Simon, what's the best way for people to get in touch and to find out more about motivation and performance partners? The best way to get in touch uh, online, you can email me direct if you would like, Simon at maplife, M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E dot com. Um, we're on Instagram too, um, just sort of pitching up ideas, insights, beliefs from some of the greats, some of the best coaches and players in the world. That's maplife, M-A-P-P underscore L-I-F-E on Instagram. And the website is maplife.com. Um, so then you can go there and you'll be able to check out um, all the stuff that we're doing. I guess you're, yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch is, um, is through those, those mechanisms, but Instagram's probably our, our biggest, sorry, our most um, prolific social media platform in terms of where we put our content. Simon, thank you for sharing your very real, but very powerful story. Wishing you all the best. Thanks, mate. I appreciate the conversation, Jono. It's always good. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender. For more unique and inspiring stories from Penrith and the Blue Mountains, be sure to listen to other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.